My name is Vida Sister Prince. Today is Tuesday, March 15, 1994, and I am interviewing Mrs. Edna McKinney on her life for the Oral History Project, Race and Memory in St. Louis. This is my independent study supported by the Missouri Historical Society. Well, I tell you, <clears throat> our home was, um, I would say, a big house because we had rumors and that sort of thing. Uh, there were several people in the house all the time. My mother worked. She and my father were separated. There was my aunt who was widowed. There was an uncle who was widowed. There was another uncle who never married. And he was one that, uh, I kind of called him the black sheep of the family. He never married, and he was always between women, and he would be put out of whatever, and he was all, a room was kept for him, because mm -hmm. he knew he was going to come back. It's, if not that, just to eat, if <laughs> nothing else. Okay, and uh, then um, there was my cousin. Now, this cousin was a complicated person in this way. She was left with us. Uh, she had a mother that uh, my mother and aunt, who were two sisters, considered her mother to be unfit to raise her. So she was more or less told to leave that child there. She had several marriages and it never worked out and she was forever just uh, drifting around. So we, the child was brought to us, okay? And we're the same age. So we were raised together like sisters. Even to this day, people tend to think that we are sisters, but we're just cousins. What's your name? Her name is Johnny. Johnny Simmons. Okay. So Johnny and I were raised together in this big house. Where was your Okay. Now, we moved around by that. St. Louis was really strange, and uh, I, this was all in the 30s. Okay. I was born in 29. Okay, so I'm taking you back to the 30s in my childhood coming up to the time I went through high school. But, okay, it was all in this area here that I think I mentioned to you. I was raised, I'm back where I was raised. Uh -huh. See, this was not... house on Grand. Right yeah, now, okay. Right off Grand, and you're talking about Mill Creek? Yes, the Mill Creek area. See, none of this existed. Mm -hmm. Okay, I can look over there at Laclede Avenue, uh -huh. and we had a big house on Laclede Avenue with tenants. Further over, there's a street called Lucas. Are you familiar with Lucas Avenue? Okay, we had a big house there on Lucas. At that time, I went to uh, Banneker School. Okay, then on Laclede Avenue, we had this house. Now, in this town, I say in this town, but in this city, rather, uh, you could rent a bigger house as you wanted and make money. This is how they made the money. You didn't have to own it. Everybody had room in houses. Now, some people did own, but very few blacks owned. They rented and then sub-rented. And then sub -rented. You got it? Yeah. Okay. Now, uh, take, for instance, if uh, you had a house with several floors, which all of them did at that time, have third floors and attics and stuff like that. Okay, you could have a kitchen in the attic, and you could have a tenant up there on that third floor, which would use that kitchen if they wanted to cook. But normally, my aunt did the cooking 
but mainly for these tenants that we had, uh, rumors that we had that ran on the road that I mentioned to you. The yeah, see, uh, they were not there all the time. They just kept their rooms for when they were in town, you know. So when they were in town, then my aunt cooked for them. So we had what you call a combination boarding and uh, renting. Some cook their own. Boarding and rooming. Yeah, rooming and boarding. That's what they call it. That's right. So those people paid for uh, the food and rental if they uh, didn't cook. All right. The railroad people who came in, they paid for the upkeep of their room from the time they were away and all that, and when they'd come in for their meals. So they paid for it even though they weren't there? They had to. Because they would lose money if, yeah, yeah, that's right. Otherwise, they could rent. See, there were always people looking for rooms to rent at those days. See, they didn't, uh, uh, people didn't rent apartments. At least blacks didn't have apartments in those days. They had a room or what they would call a, well, now they call them studios, but we used to call them kitchenettes. You know, they have a room or a kitchenette or just a room, sleeping room is what it was, you what, know. What was in those rooms? Uh, there would be, yeah, a bed and uh, uh, just everything, a dresser, and uh, sometimes there would be what we used to call a shiffer robe. You remember those? The, the big, yeah, uh-huh, if there weren't enough closets, okay. they would have, a big room would have a big shiffer robe, you know, and in the real old houses, there were some that were made in there. Mm -hmm. I have a friend now that brought some property, and uh, they had that built-in shipper rope into the walls and everything. Um, so on the first floor was... Uh, well, we usually we had the four, first floor. That was the family's floor with rooms on the hall. Now, maybe my mother had the room. Me and my mother had a room here. Then my aunt had her room. And then there would be my cousin. Then there would be the kitchen and the dining room. All this, the family floor. There would be a family floor. Then the other room, most of them would be where there would be rooms on halls because that tended to give people more privacy and they liked that. Everybody locked their own doors or what have you, you know. They and did. Went, and went and came when they got ready, you know. But they mainly liked to deal with men tenants because, uh, rumors rather, because they wanted meals cooked and that meant more money. Yeah, yeah that's the way they did because my aunt didn't work. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the railroad paid for those men's I don't know how that was done, but I know they paid a monthly whatever mm -hmm. to my aunt, you know, and paid well, for their meals. Now, I don't know if they were on an expense account. Out, depending on where their home base was. Um, and you walked to school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Always. Uh-huh. Um, back to your, to your home, you and your mom shared the room. Mm -hmm. um, did you share a bed? Yes. Mm -hmm. um, did everybody eat together? No, because there were comings and goings, you know, at different hours, you know. Uh, mainly, um, my cousin and I, we, you know, go to school together. We ate breakfast together. My aunt, was well, she was the, always the first one to hit the floor. She had the big, big coffee pot on and all this stuff and whatever, you know. Okay, it was my aunt in the mornings, and maybe my mother would have left already. Mostly she would have left already for work. Where did your mother work? Well, my mother worked, number one, would be... Oh, on Laclede was a big, I forget the name of it now. Oh, yes, it was National, a National Laundry. She worked in a National Laundry, very hard work uh, on what they call a mangle. 
You ever heard of that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. Oh, yeah. That's right. That. That's right. That's what. That's what she did. That. Mm hmm. Okay. And as I said, my aunt never worked because she was at the house all the time. She was the main cook and bottle washer and all that kind of thing, and she kept the house going. You know. Okay. So then, uh, so in the morning, if my mother had left already, then there would be my aunt and my cousin and I getting ready for school. And we ate breakfast together, you know. And depending on if this wayward uncle was there, he might eat breakfast with us, you know, depending. So anyway, that's the way that morning thing would go, you know. Uh, now, in the afternoon, we usually uh, ate at school. Well, no, they didn't have the lunchroom then. Uh, Waring School didn't have a lunchroom. Are you familiar with Waring? You went to Waring first? No. First, we let me go back. First, I went to Lincoln. When I first entered school was at Lincoln, okay. uh, kindergarten. See, in this town, blacks lived south. The family lived south at that time, before I was born. I looked on my birth certificate. They lived LaSalle Street. Are you familiar with mm -hmm. that south? They lived Hickory prior to that. And uh, let's see, who else was that? But anyway, that's where they lived, and they went to a a big church is still there called Compton Hill Baptist Church. And uh, they went Do you have any relatives that still live over there? Not that I know of. I'm tracing one. I discovered a lady in here who knows something about my family. So I've been running. She lives up on the 17th floor. We have 27 stories here. So and this it, is the Council Towers. Yes. Uh -huh. That first building is Council House. So there's two of the buildings here. But however, uh, getting back to that south side, in originally in St. Louis, um, blacks always lived below Grand, but they lived south. Then, as things changed, they moved north. As what changed? Things. Uh, when I say things, I mean the city situation. You know, there was always segregated housing. Okay. Now, at the time blacks lived South St. Louis, we used to go to picnics in Carondelet, and we knew friends who lived down there. And the flood that we had back this summer, I remember that we would say, my mother said, well, we can't go to visit the McRendles because they're flooded out, and they had to get out. They lived south way down there where the floods are this time. But whites didn't live there way back then in the 30s, okay? Uh, but we would go to Carondelet Park for those picnics. Now, I don't know why they came north in the beginning. I was too little to know. But uh, that meant I transferred from Lincoln to uh, Banneker when we had this house but on Lucas. But right down here in Mill Creek, too. Well, it was way further down. Okay. It was more near south, was Lincoln was. It, see, the way they had the black schools, you went to the school closest to your home. Uh, that was for uh, Negroes, the child didn't say black, Negro children at the time, you know. And at that time, if you lived south, you went to Lincoln, okay. Then there was another school I'm told later that I didn't know anything about, but uh, some of them went to Louverture, okay. But we went to Lincoln to start kindergarten, okay. And then when we got this other house, then we came north, that is, across the bridge. When I say across the bridge from the South Bridge, you know, across Grand, because we used to go back to the church on Sunday 
and we'd walk across Grand Bridge every Sunday. Which church? Uh, Compton Hill Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. That church has a lot of history in there. Mm -hmm. So anyway, this meant I transferred schools. All right, so then I went to, when we had the house on Lucas, which was about four blocks, I would say, to Banneker. We walked down to Banneker. Okay, but I did not graduate from Banneker Grade School. I graduated from Waring, because then we moved on to Cleed. And then we were a couple of blocks from Waring, so we had to go to Waring. So I went to three elementary schools. How, how was it to change schools? Well, as I recalled, I've always been kind of adventuresome. It didn't bother me too much. And uh, then um, kids, uh, when they had picnics, kids came together, and you saw them anyway, you know. You didn't really lose friendship completely. You know what I mean? Yes. If you say, now maybe kids go to another school, they may not... Uh, uh, they meet new friends and they don't see the old ones. Uh -huh. So you would you would meet in the park. And yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Did your families know each other? Did the families from over on Compton Hill? Oh yeah. Even families? now, even now, I tell in you. Mill Creek. Yeah, they have two picnics now. They have the South Side picnic. I was invited last year. <laughs> I saw people, and they knew me. I didn't know some of them, you know, mm -hmm. but they were from across the bridges we call it. They were from the South San Luis area. And they have an annual picnic every year. It's, it's, and it's called the uh, South Side Picnic. Let, let me get this straight, Edna, because um, I have a sense from other people mm -hmm. that, that of a different kind of thing, so I want to be sure I understand it. You as a child knew people because you went to school over on Compton Hill, and then you came over across the bridge and you went to school here. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you knew children, but did your parents know people if it wasn't your, your friend's parents or something like that? Would they have already known different people in different communities in the, in the Negro community? Well, they knew their friends where they had left over there. Mm -hmm. You see, everybody didn't move south, I mean north. Most people did, though, because... Uh, but otherwise, when they moved over to... Mill Creek. They didn't know. Did they know anybody in Mill Creek? Well, I, I don't know. Let me see. I'm I think so because the communities were separated. You mean completely? Well, like you know, you, you knew who lived in your own community, but you often don't know who lives in, in another community. Well, there was always contact. You didn't lose them, and then you met new ones, and you kind of, as I said, joined together because now this Compton Hill Baptist Church, even though we moved over here. Uh, it was understood that uh, the roots were there. Okay. So, so church. You, you, the church. You kept, that might be a place that, that kept people Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And every Sunday we went back to that church, mm -hmm. and we walked from Laclede over this same Grand Bridge to the Compton Hill Baptist Church. All right, then coming back, we'd stop at, it used to be a Peavely Dairy ice cream parlor. We'd stop and get our ice cream cones, come back and walk on. It was just, you'd walk, and it didn't bother you about walking, because everybody did. Very few people had cars. If a black family had a car, they were considered really well off. 
you know. So, and it was understood that you walked, and then there's no problem. So we kept contact that way, uh, even though you'd moved across the bridge, and a funny thing happened. Uh, the kids who remained on that south side, some of them became a little hostile because you came from the north side if they didn't know you. Consequently, there used to be fights across the bridge. They would run you across the bridge. Uh, take, for instance, there was not a community center on this side that we could go to that we knew right away. We'd go to Booter. You're familiar with Booter was on the south side. I think that's down, they had a, what they call a bathhouse. Bathhouse? Yeah, uh-huh. I think that was near Jefferson, somewhere down in there. So we would go back over there. See, this all this kept us in contact to this Buddha recreation facility. And uh, kids would say, oh, you don't belong over here, you know. And consequently, they would run us across the bridge, and the bridge would be like a battleground sometimes. And it would be nothing like this, this time where kids had weapons and things, nothing like that. It would just be, they thought you were northerners, you were outside, you lived on the north side, what are you coming over here for, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's what it was. And uh, so it was like, I'm telling you, a steady thing uh, back and forth, okay? Now, let me ask you one mm -hmm. would you know anybody, did you know anybody uh, east, of, west of Grand? Did you know anybody that lived in the Ville? Well, I'm getting ready to tell you my other part of the family. As I explained, my mother and father were separated. Okay. Now, my grandmother on my father's side and my aunt and her niece, they all bought a family home. They were one of the first to buy a home in the Ville, as they called it. Because, as I explained to you before, blacks lived below Grand always until the situation changed where they allowed blacks to buy or live beyond Grand Avenue. And then those people had to be professional people, people of means. And they were kind of screen like. You could buy a property, but you couldn't rent. Who screened? Whoever. Yeah. It was like, uh, what would they call it now with insurance, redlining, that kind of sort of thing, you know? So, uh, so blacks redlined their own? No, no, no. Like screening, you said? The screening was done by the real estate people, oh, whoever. Right. If right. You, oh, of course. Oh. They run everything but the city. See, before, you could not go across here after 9 o'clock. You would be arrested. What, what year are you talking about? When I was a little girl. You couldn't go past Graham? No, no, not at night. They would arrest you. Uh, this town was divided this way. South of uh, Grand Avenue was the dividing line for housing. Uh, of course, black people worked west of Grand. South, did you mean to say south? I mean east. 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 I'm, watch it. It's okay. <laughs> okay. East of Grand. East of Grand was considered black territory. Of course, you had a few, uh, well, you had poor whites and white blacks, a few, but very few uh, whites in there. Because I remember back over here on Shanning, there were some white kids that I used to play with back over in there by that auto place over there. But now, uh, nobody, it was Somebody under... Somebody said that was a dividing line, Shanning. No, it was what? Grand Avenue. No, with, with whites and blacks at one time. It might have been. Uh -huh. Because when we would roller skate over in there, see, we had this house on Lucas. 
and then you'd come down to Shanning, uh -huh. all that. That's where I remember the kids would be. Now, sometimes they would want to play, but the parents wouldn't let them. And sometimes they would, and sometimes they'd fight. Mm -hmm. That must have been, now, I didn't know about a dividing line, but it was Shanning Avenue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Talking about, I say Channing, is that C-H? Yeah, yeah, double N-I-N-G. Okay, so that is where the um, uh, Oldsmobile place is now, GMC. All right, now... Uh, so, so, we, so they were arrested? Let me explain it. Uh, I could hear the adults always talk about this. It was a joke among blacks. You better get in before dark. If you worked... Now, there were a lot of people I knew. In fact, I had a cousin that used to work, you know, the Hill Bend Lumber people. Mm -hmm. She was a terrific cook. She was their cook. She had to get home before dark. Now, they would, if there was like a dinner party and she had to work late, a lot of times maids and cooks would stay over. They had a room for them or something. Or else, if they didn't, somebody would bring them home because if they got, you know, there were streetcars, no buses. If they were stopped on the street and questioned, they had, they would call their employer and find out where you're coming from. Why are you across Grand? Why are you out of your territory? That was the question. I can remember hearing that all the time up until later on. Um, let's see, I can't recall how old. I guess when I was in my teens, I can't remember exactly when it changed. But I, I in my life, it changed when. My aunt and my father then brought this house on Maffitt Avenue. This is when I started going to Sumner because in this town, I always say that. Um, Why do you say that? It's just a habit, I say, because I've traveled so much, and I always say this town. Okay, okay. in this town, um, blacks went to high school, two high schools. Well, there were three. There was a technical school called uh, Washington Techno, where you could take up all technical courses, beauty, culture, and type, and that sort of thing. There was Vashon High, and there was Sumner High. Now, Sumner High was in DeVille. Now, yeah, I never went up in that area until they brought this home, as I explained. I would go in the summer when school was out at Vashon. This is high school now. You're so good. Okay, so uh, here's what happened. If you wanted to earn extra credits in high school, I applied for National Honor Society. I wanted to have extra credits, and my mother and father had no communication at all through his sister, which was my aunt. She made dresses. She sewed. She would make clothes for me. So I'd go visit her, but they all came together and bought this house. They had no money individually. So they bought this house. He never remarried or anything. They just, he lived with his sister and my grandmother. So I would go out there when school was out, and then I enrolled in summer school there. Now you could either go to summer school one year, they, one summer they'd have it at Vashon down here on the Clee, which is now Stowe Teachers College. Then, well, they call it Harris. Okay. Now uh, you could go at your own school one year and get credit. And the next summer, they would rotate. You'd go to Sumner. Okay, now this is when blacks were starting moving into the Ville area. So when they brought this home, it was very nice and everything, you know. So I would go out there and spend the whole summer and go to Sumner. Like a vacation? Yeah, it so was. So you were with your father then? Yeah, uh-huh, and my aunt and grandmother. They all lived in this house. 
Now, they didn't have any rumors or anything. This was their home. And they did bought it, put, pitched money in together, and bought it together, okay? So this is how I happened to go to Sumner, only in the summer. Well, I would like to know um, what it was to go to Sumner for you. Okay, let me tell you. What how were the differences? What were the similarities? How did uh, people treat you? Let me tell you. It was segregation of a different sort. Uh, you know, the worst segregation is among your own people. And it, uh, it's just one of those things. The system has made it, really, because uh, they have divided us within ourselves by system. this way, the system. Let's, I said the system, the white system, is the only system we have, okay? We all live under the system. All right, well, what happened there? The only people who could live in the Ville were the professional blacks. And they were the ones who only could afford to buy these homes, which was okay, all right. So you had black teachers, doctors, and what have you, and their children went to Sumner High School. When the football games came together, Vashon would play against Sumner, you know. Of course, I was kind of divided because yeah. I had friends, on, as they say, in the Ville and then down here where I actually lived. And so then they would uh, have the usual scramble at the football games, you know, and vying to get you each other and talking and fussing and what have you. But there was no big thing about it. But in the school itself, you had your sweaters with your, you know, and the boys had the sweaters with a big V if they were Vishon, and then the, the other ones had the S for Sumner, you know. Of course, if you went with the boy Vishon, you wore his sweater, what have you. Well, if you, when I went out there in the summertime, well, kids that I made friends with out there, they were accept, they accepted you, but some of them had a snooty attitude. And you know what blacks would do to you at that time? They would say, where does your mother work? My mother worked in the laundry. And uh, they can't turn her nose up that because maybe this person would be, her father would be a lawyer or a doctor or somebody. And see, it's a wonderful thing for blacks to attain anything at all under the system, but when they do it and then look down on those that have been left behind, that's the problem right there among blacks themselves. This is what I'm trying to tell you. Okay, so as you grew up, uh, there was this stigma thing about uh, where you came from, across Grand or below Grand, whatever. That's where that started from. And did color have anything to do with it? Well, listen, let me tell you about that. It's really amusing. <laughs> to me it is. Because uh, as I tell, I'm beginning to tell my grandkids, because they don't know too much about blacks. They've been raised in Germany mostly. But here's what I say is this. It started on the boat. Uh, blacks of various colors because of the uh, mating. At first it was forced mating, or you want to call it rape or what have you. They had the slave women and then this made the various colors on down the line. But here's where the problem started. Uh, I'm thinking, this is my thinking about it, a man knowing that this is his child here, regardless if she is from another race, mo the mother is another race, that child gets a little preference. And on the plantation, that child would be put in the house, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Apart from the other slaves. So the other slaves would be, well, in the little quarters, I guess. And then this child would be in the plantation getting a few extra things in the kitchen or whatever. So this child came up 
as having extra privileges, which of course made feelings against that child by the other slaves. Okay? Now let me bring it up to modern times. When I would go downtown, in this town you would, well it was streetcars, you'd go downtown, I think it was a nickel. It was a big activity to take the streetcar and ride downtown and look in the windows. And you never saw any uh, mannequins at all uh, that were black. Of course, they didn't allow anything like that. And then you could not eat. You would go downtown, at, at least I did, because I was very proud. And my mother brought me up to this extent. Nobody's better than you. And if they don't want you to eat, you eat at home. Okay, so I can remember that in Woolworths downtown, famous, <laughs> which I never thought I'd work in their office, which is so amusing, they would not allow you to eat. Famous Bar had a segregated lunch counter. Do you recall anything about it? Mm -hmm. They had a little balcony, and they had a little corner there where they would serve hot dogs, coffee, and Cokes, what have you. That was for colored only. Okay, then you had to pay to use the restrooms in Woolworths. Uh, you couldn't eat in there. And uh, what I would do, once or twice I can recall eating a hot dog there, but it kind of choked me. Because I could always hear my mother say, don't force yourself, you know, and don't give people your money. It was a money thing. You're giving them money. Okay, so I would, if I walked downtown, sometimes I walked downtown, but if not, I took the streetcar, I would come home in time to eat because I didn't want to eat in that segregated lunch counter. Could you ever have taken a sandwich if you wanted to? Would well, opportunity to do I imagine it would. I could have eaten it in the park. Okay. I love to go to where Union Station and then you know, there's that park with the uh, waterfalls and all. I love to sit yeah. there a lot of times. But you couldn't sit there too long because they always watch black kids. They wouldn't do something. What are you going to do? They just love to watch the water. We're talking 19, late 1930s and 40s. 40s. Yeah. yeah, okay. So then the thing that changed again, uh, there were uh, blacks who determined that, of course, they were going to break up that non-eating business downtown. And they started having the demonstrations and what have you, you know. I watched all that, and my mother thought there was nothing was going to come of it, but it did. Yeah, it really still did. Still in the 40s. They started in the 40s. Uh, the yes. Was in the 40s. Uh huh. And I thought it was. And I, the racial thing, like I say again, was that color thing. In Famous and Sticks at that time, Sticks Baron Fuller, they hired. Uh, black operators for the elevators. They didn't have uh, escalators. Uh, but they had to be fair-skinned. Okay, and as I said, from slavery times, we knew that a fair-skinned black uh, had a percentage of white in them, okay? So, there again, if you wanted that job, uh, say if you were my color, you couldn't get that because your skin wasn't fair enough. Okay, so that kept rumblings among blacks and among each other, you yeah. see? Yeah, uh-huh. See, that's an internal thing that they do. All right, so what happened now when they had all these demonstrations and what have you, uh, they began to get into that a little bit. 
And then when they... Uh, Wait, they got into what? The fact that they hired only after they got the lunchroom situation oh. straightened out. It was a gradual the, thing. The people that were protesting got... Yeah, and uh, see, uh, they wanted to know why, um, if you were fair-skinned black and operate the elevator, why couldn't a darker-skinned black operate the elevator? It was not a skin thing, it was mentality, right? Okay, so anyway, gradually they got, they relieved them of that anyway, they put in escalators. And they moved those uh, gals that operated the elevators into stock. Now, I don't know, this is something that I'm assuming, in stock you didn't see them too much anyway. So then they gradually, you would see every now and then uh, a darker uh, black person carrying boxes to and from. See, the people, they to my them, thinking, the, put them out in the fields. There you go, there you go, okay. So now, all the stores, but here's the thing that I really didn't, couldn't stand. I worked uh, ever since I was 12. And I had money. I wanted to buy different things. I liked clothes. And as I said, my aunt used to work. I mean, not to work, my aunt used to sew. I mean, she had made some clothes. And if you went to Sumner, you had to have clothes. You could get away with not looking too good at Michonne because it was just a different class of blacks who went there. But when you went out to Sumner, those were professional kids. Their parents were professional people. They had better clothing. So you felt pressure? Yeah, you felt pressure about clothes, you see. So when I went to work... And would you have preferred not to have gone out there in the summer? Oh, no. I loved it. And I wanted to let them know I was an honor student. And they didn't make as good grades as I did to me. That was most important. Those I could out. Yeah. So some did. Them. Some did. But, I mean, uh, if, in those days, if you were in the honor society, it was known. So, would it be fair to say that at Bashan you were comfortable, um, but out there you were comfortable, but you were competitive? More mm -hmm, competitive? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's right. Was yeah. it like going, maybe this is an odd question, but it was more like going to a white school? In a way. Uh, to me, it was more like being into a sorority where you had to really shine and, uh, you, you know, you, you were with that group. Because i tell you what happened on this end. There were some of my friends used to say when different parties and things came out, oh, you're going to be with your um, West End friends? That, that really got me, you know. Because to me, if you were my friend, you were my friend. I didn't care where you came from, but that's the way they looked on it, you know. Then I caught abuse because I was always with my head in a book. And I was honest that society students, they thought they were just too much. <laughs> we just couldn't stand them anyway, you know, because they were involved in a lot of activities and stuff. I don't know what they do now, but uh, uh, you were really, they let you know who you were, and you had your little button that you wore and you all mean that. the teachers and everything. Yeah, uh-huh, and activities, good. and your name would be on the program and stuff, and they would, oh, they would just think that you, you know. So anyway, there was this clothes problem, as I said. So I went to work. Um, there was a restaurant. I was 12. It was during the war, World War II. Uh, blacks made good money in World War II uh, because, number one, they hired a lot of them in the defense plants. And then there were 
there was really the problem of eating. The black employees could not eat in those restaurants in different places. Did they work? Yeah, where they worked. Or get sandwiches. You know, they had that, that food thing, you know. But you know what, when I look back, and even now I think it's so amusing because the cooks would be black. They were touching the food. They, they, they made it up. They cooked yeah, it. Yeah. I wouldn't want anybody to nurse my baby or cook my food. I'd rather just go to the movies with you and sit beside you, but not handle the food. But that's the way it was, you know. So this family that hired me, let me explain to them, they were, we lived on Walnut Street, which was in this area here in Mill Creek. They had a big restaurant where people would buy food on a, what they call a meal ticket plan. They needed uh, a girl after school to help. They had opened an ice cream parlor. Did you tell me the name of it? It was Fisher's Restaurant. Fisher. Sam Fisher. F-I-S-H-E-R. Sam Fisher. He and Mr. Fisher opened this restaurant. They were smart. They weren't educated. He but and Mr. Fisher. Yeah, he and the wife. Oh. The two of them okay. opened this restaurant. What time was it? Meal, you had to get meal ticket. It, what it was was just that uh, you, you had your meals on time and at the end of the month or whenever you got paid, you paid that off. Oh. But they punched it yes. like a punch card. You know, you had stew today or whatever and they punched that. So then they opened the ice cream parlor on the side and then they put a jukebox in. I never heard of this before. So is this yeah. something that was um, common? Uh, well, when I, yeah, the purpose was to get food to the defense workers. I'm going to explain okay. what they did. They had two operations. This is how they made big bucks. They had this one side set aside for ice cream parlor and a jukebox, and the kids would come in after school and just congregate there, and I'd fix up the milk, milks and all that. Then there was the restaurant side where the people came with the meal tickets. But they had this big truck where I would help, they had long pans of cornbread made and uh, ham and beans and stews, whatever, help pack all this up to go to the defense plants. And the truck would be loaded, you'd help load all this food out. This is where they made the money. They would take all this out for the lunches for the people who worked, the blacks who worked and couldn't get into a restaurant to eat. And they made money that way. And they, this was an everyday thing. So it was the whites who were coming into this restaurant? No, no whites at all. It were it blacks was only. It was, it was right over here on Teresa. It was a black neighborhood and a black restaurant, but taking food to the defense workers. Now some of the, listen, some of the whites oh, ate the food too. The whites were coming in and they were taking the food out? No, no. The no, the blacks did their own. They had their own truck. And I would help package these plates and things to load up the truck, and they would take that out to the defense plants. And that way, well, they call it soul food now, you know, but with the home cooking, they, they got their hot meals, and they made their money that way. And the blacks were, got a good meal and everything, and then uh, anybody could come out to the truck if they wanted to and buy something. But uh, it was the main purpose was to stop this food segregation or help them to combat it by getting food, you know, and what they wanted to eat. So that Mr. and Mrs. Fisher, I worked there, so I got this money. Excuse me, how else were these people supposed to get food? They didn't care. On their work. They didn't care. Uh, they had their quotas. They uh, wanted to get those uh, the ammunition out, you know, they were defense plants. And they worked. And now some people would bring sandwiches. They could bring sandwiches from home or what have you. But they couldn't go into a sit-down restaurant. They didn't serve 
as they said, coloreds at that time. So this, this uh, Mr. and Mr. Fisher caught on to this, and they decided that they would do that, and they'd help them, and they made money. So I worked there after school. I worked there on Saturdays. I learned to cook some, and I loved to cook. I took home ec everywhere I went. <laughs> so anyway, uh, my mother hated to cook, so I started getting in the kitchen with my aunt. Where did you get paid? I don't remember. I'm going to tell you the truth. But it was enough for me to buy a sweater every month, every week. And at what that uh, there was what they call little Jewish dry goods stores up and down Laclede Avenue at that time. And you could get a nice sweater for $5. And uh, we called them uh, Sloppy Joes, you know, mm -hmm. you remember, and little pleated skirts. Mm -hmm. And you had your little thick bobby socks and things, you know. And uh, that helped me get through school working for the fishers, and then I learned to cook a lot, you see. And uh, we never did have a lot of this, what you call, soul food at our house. And I learned a lot about that. What did you eat at you? Well, we had a lot of food at our house because these uh, rumors, uh, uh, they wanted different things. And my aunt, when she did work, she was a cook, too. So uh, you, you never could tell what we would have, but it would be delicious, you know. Now, uh, the one thing I always said, she had a lot of British blood in her because she was a tea person. It was tea, tea, tea all the time. And if she had company, you're going to have tea. And she would make some kind of a, I wouldn't call it a cookie. It was more like, I guess you call it a sweet bread or something, but it wasn't real sweet. And she would serve these, you know, some of her gossipy neighbor friends would come out and say, oh, the friends, oh, the fence people coming during the day when she wasn't there because her mother in line to gossip it. <laughs> and they would sit and have this tea and all this stuff. But anyway, my aunt, uh, she would bake. Your mother didn't allow gossip? Mm-mm. And my mother didn't deal with people too much because she said that they created problems. And uh, she said the people who didn't work were problem women because all they did was sit around and gossip. And uh, my aunt never left the house, see, only on Sunday for church. But anyway, what she did, cooked. What did you think of what your mother said? Well, as I get older, she was right to a certain extent. Uh, but uh, my aunt was a people person, and so was my daddy's, my aunt on my daddy's side. So are you? Yeah, I love that, you know. But I realized now my mother was afraid of them because uh, people tend to, as she said, put your business in the streets. They like to find out what's going on in your home and how you make it and tell others. And, and she said that was private. And she would tell mine when they'd have arguments. She said, listen, if you stay off that back fence, see, <laughs> she would be hanging clothes. You know, they hung clothes in those days. Nobody had no laundry mat. They hung out there washing. And she would be out there. And we had a grape orchid, grape vines and stuff. And they would always be trying to come in there and get close to my aunt so they'd get some of those grapes to make jellies and wine. She would give all, she'd give away everything. And my mother's constantly fussing. And she said, no telling when I come home from work, we may not have a thing in this house for you. And she said, well, it's no harm. Let's give them a few grapes. She said, yeah, when we get ready to put up the jello, we don't have hardly enough left. And then my mother made the wine. They had the kitchen sinks, you know, where there wasn't any, um, well, there was just space under the kitchen, I guess you'd call it. And you see the plumbing there. And then they had these big, big jugs where they would put this wine and stuff there that they made and, uh, and then kind of crock-like things, real tall, you know, and they put it up under there for a long time. I, what did they call that? 
fermenting, I guess, whatever. And then after a while, you had wine. I don't know what they did because I wasn't allowed to touch it. And <laughs> so anyway, uh, the aunt was considered the gossip, but she was a sweet person, very ladylike. I learned a lot from her because I was with her in the kitchen all the time. Well, I learned a lot from my mom in this respect. Tend to your own business. Never gossip. Never let people inside of you. That's what she termed it, you know. And uh, I learned about men from my mother. Now, my mother and father were separated. My father was a gambler. And uh, they I never lived with my father because they separated a little before I was born. And my mother came back home. When I say back home, back with the sister in the big house and the rumors and all that. So only com communication I'd have with him would be when I'd go out to the other house. When I say the other house, I mean with the other aunt. And, yeah, in the veil. Okay, so then I would see him there, of course. But he just seemed to be in his own world, and he was never a man that, he just wasn't a family person, you know. Once or twice only, uh, but he drank and I didn't like to go in. I think really, uh, I did. I had a bad picture of him because I really wanted the mother and father scene within myself. But the more my mother talked to me about it, she said, if you're being mistreated, you don't stay with a man. She said, some people are long, so some women are long suffering. And the longer I lived, the more I realized what she said. You take people say, oh, they're having their 40th anniversary. My mother said, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and just that, you say, well, listen, they're surviving, but you don't know what's going on. And she said, you never know what's going on behind closed doors. And she said, people keep a false front. By that, she means that was that public face, and but you never know what they're doing behind the scenes. Was a wise woman. She was. She was not educated. But she had, what is that they call it, um, mother wit and good common sense. And uh, she would tell me all the time, get your head in the book all the time, but when you get down to it, you listen to what I tell you. Life, she said, what was it? She said when you get down to it, no, you got your head in a book all the time. Yeah. But when you get down to it, life is what I tell you. People will betray you, and you have to be careful. You just have to be careful. And she said, look at my sister there. <laughs> See my aunt, you know. She says, people walk all over her. My, my, this, my mother would come for, they have a little meeting about the tenants who weren't paying or whatever, the rumors. Why'd you let Mr. So-and-so go? You know he's going to be out on the run on the road, and he's not going to do this and that. Now, why didn't you? Well, he said he'd be back. <clears throat> well, see, sometimes they would come in and have girlfriends, and they go places or what have you. And they didn't allow that in the house, you know. So we, wherever they went, and they may have, they come in with big bucks. And if they didn't, my mother's rule was collect when they come in. Oh, first. Yeah, see? But my aunt, oh, well, and then, see, my aunt was a sweet eater. They'd bring her candy or different little things from wherever they traveled, you know, and these stories. And I was there with baby bread, just listening to everything I could, you know. And so then uh, they satisfy her. I learned to do it myself. If I wanted to be out a little later or do something, my mother wasn't home, I could bring her a candy bar or a strawberry ice cream. Oh, Edna Mae, she said, you're the sweetest child. It is whatever, and she'd get in a rocking chair, and I'd ask her about old times and different things that happened in the past. And uh, I wanted to know more about, you know, family. My mother wouldn't talk about it too much. 
But my, I would tell you a lot of different things about people and things that happened in this town. And uh, she was the type of person who did all the talking. Was your family from St. Louis? Or yes. I'm checking that now. Did I tell you I'm looking into black history on my family side? Well, listen, I went to the library and I was uh, looking into the Michael Fish about that. I found that my father's people came from Clarksville. I visited a cousin, and she, they have an old, it's like a Bible. Yeah, an uh, old Bible. And they had a child, a Dave, Davis is my family name, my, on my father's side. My mother's side was Anderson's. So the Davis family came from Clarksville. So what name did you, did you take, have your father's name? Oh, yeah. Well, they were married. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go right ahead. So what happened there... Uh, in this book I looked at out there, my cousin is 80 years old, and she's very sharp her age. And so she had this, brought this book out, it's not a Bible, but it had, uh, it was a birth of a, of a child, a Davis child. And this little girl was born, and Christian, they had a party, a christening party after the church service. And they list the guest list. All these Andersons was listed there. Mm -hmm. So, I said, say, there's my mother there on the list, and my aunt. And I knew that they had to be connected some way in order for them to meet and marry, you know. So, uh, she cannot remember exactly every detail about how they came to marry. But this was in um, the 19.2 or 3 that this christening took place in the Davis family and she was a guest there. Now whether they drove there or whatever they did to Clarksville, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I told her I was going to get back but she just recently, they came out of the hospital. I'm waiting to see how she feels so I can go back out and talk to her more about that and get into this book. But uh, there again, they were over on the south side at one time on LaSalle Street. So they all live, evidently lived in a, a neighborhood over here yeah. at one point. But where they came from in the beginning is what's bugging me. Yeah. Then my mother has two sisters that never were mentioned. I saw that on the microfish. And my aunt never talked about them. Yeah. But my cousin here, this Johnny, said she knows about this one. Uh, one sister that didn't mention, she died very young. Well, in the 19th census, 1910, uh, of course, you know, at one time, everybody went outside. Okay, but the houses below Grand, uh, in the, what they call it, the colored neighborhoods, most of them were outdoor plumbing. That used to be another joke, too. Okay. There was a lot of humor in the... Yes, like because, the yeah, because, see, when you went to the Ville, the house, they had the bathrooms and all. Okay. Had the houses, the restroom inside, and I love that, you know. But, and I used to be afraid to go outside, you know. So, of course, they had potties, 
you know, in the house for night, you know, and then they'd take them out. That used to be a thing I couldn't stand, you know. But what could you do? Well, here's what happened with us. We were in the 40s now? Yes, we were in the 40s. We had to be in the 40s because I was, um, yeah, in the early 40s before I went to high school. I went to high school, started in 44 in Deshaun. All right, we lived in a one-story family house at one time, a little frame when we had a barbecue business. We lived there. We didn't have tenants in any rooming house at that time. This was a house that had that outdoor toilet. I remember that distinctly because my aunt went out and was gone a good while. My mother always said, say, she's out there awful long time. Go out there and see what's going on. Well, I was sent. I went out and knocked on the door, and they were just like a shed, you know, maybe about the size of this entertainer thing, and you, they had locks on them, because see, if you didn't, people could come up the alleys and things and use your place, you know. And we had we had long brooms that we had, what they call CNN now, then, you know, disinfectant, and you'd have to scrub the walls and all around and keep that clean. She said, uh, uh, and I said, I don't know what's the matter. She kept groaning. So I eased the door open, and the whole thing had caved in. And there she was, partly down in there and partly out. I was so tickled. Well, I guess I must have been about eight or nine. It was funny because all the stuff was on her, and you know, the flat. And when I got back in the house, and I said, oh, come quick, help, you know, but I was, I was tickling, and I was, I, I, you know, oh, they nearly killed me, too, <laughs> because, well, the ambulance had to come, they had them in, had to get her out, then she broke her hip. Now, I'm going to tell you, being uneducated is a bad thing. Uh, that house, as I found out, was one of the last to get rid of the outdoor system. The people who owned it, well, let's say it this way because that's what they were. All up and down Laclede Avenue were these Jewish stores. Uh, they had uh, what they call dry goods stores. They had poultry houses and everything, and they owned all those tenement places there. They were told the city had an ordinance that those houses had to be, the outdoor toilets had to be gotten rid of and set aside. Well, this was a little <coughs> small frame house, and I don't know why they didn't do it. I really don't know. But those houses rented cheaper, too, because of that. And it was one of the last ones. Now, if my aunt had been educated to the extent she could have sued because the city ordinance had passed that they had to be abolished, see? Uh -uh. She was in the hospital a long time with this broken hip and all that. And, of course, we moved. Of course, they had to move, and that house was torn down. The city made them tear down. Then we went into the next rooming house then. Mm -hmm. Went back to the rooming thing. Did it have plumbing? Oh, yeah, they had plumbing. But they had a long, uh, uh, they had um, a waiting list. Well, I said waiting list. You know, there was a big bathroom and tub and all at the end of the hall, but everybody used it. The rooms and everybody had to take turns. Well, uh, if you, let's see. <clears throat> so there was one bathroom for the whole place? We had one bathroom, one tub, a run full bath, the whole thing, for the whole, whole place. 
first, second, and third floors, the whole thing. So you took, no, it was on the second floor, okay. But you had to take your turn. Of course, everybody didn't bathe at the same time anyway, but, you know, you had to knock on the door, and, uh, you know, it was locked inside, you know, if you were using it, you know, if someone was occupied, you know, if it's locked, you couldn't come in there. So you just had to wait your turn, you know. But that was uh, a step up from going outside. Do you know how it could be if it was cold and you were out there? So people, the hardwares were popular because people bought those potties. I call them potties. You know, what, what did they call them? But anyway, they had big lids on them and everything, and people would put them in the night. They would have them, you know, especially if people were sick, they'd have them behind by the bed or behind the door somewhere. And uh, like one house, we had a little hallway that out in the little hallway that she went out there with that, you know. I don't know how people live on machines on the When did you become aware that there were people whose skin was a different color than yours? Well, I always knew that because of my family. My grandmother was half white on my father's side, and uh, there were there's always uh, there's white people in every black family. Are you aware of that? You are aware of that. I'm aware that there are white people in black families, but I didn't know that there was a white person in every black family. Well, by that I mean it this way: <clears throat> if you have a fair-skinned person in your family. Uh, then you automatically know from whence they came. Mm -hmm. Now, in my family, we have several intermarriages, okay? Now, my father's mother, see, you just have to look at us closely. It's kind of amusing to me. <laughs> Everything's amusing to me, but there's a reason. Um, sometimes it skips a generation. Let's say, for instance, there was a, a slave master that... Uh, had a child by um, uh, a slave woman, okay? That first child is going to be, you know, you see how they look. They're into, they're interbred, and, and they, to me, they're very pretty, okay? But the next one may not be that same complexion. It might be a little darker. Even or, if she marries, even if the child marries someone of the Black race. Black race. Uh huh. It, it might skip, and then the grandchild would be very fair. So there's no. It just happens. No guarantee. Down. But down the line, see, down the line, it's there. There's no escape. Uh, I tell you, it's a strange thing. I tell you what it's like. I don't know. I have diabetes. I'm not until insulin. I have a borderline case. I take a pill. It skips generations. On my father's side, he didn't have it. My mother didn't have it, but my aunt and uncle had it, and I have it. My daughter doesn't have it. My grandchildren don't have it. So you're it it's the same way with the pigmentation. You watch it, and that's the way it does. Now, I'll show you my grandkids, and you'll see just what I'm telling you. They are, here they are right here. Look right here. This is my first one that was born in Germany. See how fair mm -hmm. he is? Here he is. Mm -hmm. About four or five days old. All right. Here's the second one born in Scott Air Base. He's fair. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, he is gradually, here he is now. This child is here. Uh-huh. 
and this child is here. Oh my! Isn't that see? It, you so have, that he's 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 dark. He's medium yeah. color. I yeah, suppose but the, 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 but the fairness is is there in the beginning. Is is um probably about when children are born uh, in the black community. I know in the white community. Oh, he looks like, well, look at his ears, you know. What, Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> you know, who does he look like? What, you yeah. know. Um, what do people say and what do they look for and what are they thinking when they look, come in to see a black baby? Well, I tell you, I don't think it's too much difference now. Uh, to me, educated people know that the child doesn't necessarily have to look like the mother and father. Now, men have a tendency to say, well, maybe if his child doesn't have his features or something, that maybe the wife's been cheating or, you know, how that goes. But by the same token, uh, you'll take uh, an older black person will say, now, that child is a throwback to sister so-and-so way back somewhere. You've got to go back to the older person. They know the story. And, you know, so-and-so's father was white, and this one was, uh, uh, had a child by Mr. So-and-so. They can tell you where that child's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, beginnings were, is its there, roots. Is there a concern with with the color at birth? I mean, are people looking at, uh, at not, that? Not as much as they used to, I would say. The younger people are not concerned not with concerned. it. It's, it's the way back thing, I think. I think. And the hair? The hair. Now, I tell you the difference, too. All children have pretty hair when they're born, or no hair, you know. Pretty hair, what is pretty uh, What I mean, it's, you know, it's very fine and silky. Black children's hair is the same thing. Uh, but now later on, uh, a black child's hair will get coarse, you know, and kinky. Uh, uh, after about a year, I would say, you know. Uh, then, if there's a great percentage of white in that child, it will still have silky hair, and it won't change. To me, it's the percentage, or else how close it was. You understand me? A person who has white uh, blood in them way back, uh, it may not uh, ever be silky too much, but if it were, say, their mother was white, then it might remain silky, or by the same token, it just may take on the father's hair and get real kinky and coarse. Did that matter in your day? Well, I tell you, it did to a certain extent. Now, uh, fortunately, in my family, there were people who did hair. So the hair was straightened. And you said fortunately. Because otherwise you'd have to pay and go to a beauty shop. Now, my aunt had silk hair. So the hair was straightened? Yeah. See, the difference between my hair and your hair is my hair has to be straightened because it's coarse and kinky-like, okay? And then they would braid it. Okay, this was the beginning of this braid stuff they do with the, I, I don't like them, <laughs> those, those hanging things they put on there, those corn things. But what I'm saying is now, um, to make your hair straight, well, of course, we use a perm now. But years ago, blacks didn't get perm. They used a, a, a curling iron 
or, or pressing iron and straighten your hair out. I'm trying to get to the reason for straightening it. Well, first of all, I think that people looked better 